This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. And all reporters really want for Christmas is a little transparency. I mean, really, put some of that sunshine under my tree. But the state's Independent Redistricting Commission hasn't really been paying attention to that part of the holiday list this year, I would say. The Michigan Supreme Court heard oral arguments this week about whether the commission has to release secret memos and documents on how it has been coming up with these district lines that it's considering adopting for the state. Several news outlets, the Detroit Free Press, the Detroit News, Bridge Michigan, and the Michigan Press Association filed the lawsuit when the commission refused to give them up earlier this year. But that's not all that's going on with the commission. To break down everything that's going on with the group tasked with redrawing our state's voting district lines, we've brought on Lauren Gibbons from MLive, huge friend of the show. Lauren, welcome. Thanks for having me. Always happy to be here. So, Lauren, what is the latest that's been going on, especially with this lawsuit? Sure. So we're currently pretty close to the end of a 45-day public comment period on the maps that the redistricting commission came up with. And uh, the lawsuit that's going on actually has nothing to do with those maps at all. This is about whether the legal memos that were discussed during a closed session last October should be released to the public. The argument that the media organizations involved is making is that these legal memos, which regarded the Voting Rights Act and voting-related discrimination in Michigan, that those should be a matter of public record. The commission is arguing that it's protected under attorney-client privilege. So that's going to be the crux of the case, what the extent of the commission's uh, legal right to private counsel, where it begins and where it ends. Now, lawsuit aside, as you mentioned, the, the lawsuit doesn't have anything to do right now, at least with the actual work the commission has been getting done. Uh, that work, they're getting pretty close to the end of the process. They plan to vote on the final maps soon. What is going on there? And is the lawsuit going to actually affect the timeline? So it'll be interesting to see whether the Supreme Court, if they end up siding with the media organizations, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they decide that prior to the December 28th date that the commission is currently scheduled to start taking votes on these maps. That said, the schedule could remain in flux. The commission uh, met to consider some more business items. It's the last scheduled day of the agenda, but there's still a lot of people who want to make public comments. And so it's possible the commission could add a few more meeting dates. They technically still could change the schedule quite a bit and, and not stay true to that December 28th date that they were hoping to start getting voted on. But regardless of when they start doing this, uh, when they start voting on the maps, when the results of the lawsuit come out from the Michigan Supreme Court, uh, whether or not they release those memos likely won't have much impact on the overall timeline. When it does come to impact of the lawsuit, though, Lauren, talk a little bit about what this could mean in terms of setting a precedent or what it could mean for future redistricting processes. I mean, I think that that is what I'm hearing as being what's at stake here. You know, when when we what do we decide is the proper course in terms of what the public should know, uh, what is protected under the Open Meetings Act? Can they use the Open Meetings Act? What's protected under the Constitution? Uh, what What do you see as being at stake with this lawsuit? Absolutely. So I think this 
particular redistricting process, it, everything about it is precedent setting, right? Because this is the first time Michigan has had a citizens independent panel uh, drawing the maps. Uh, previously, it was the legislature. Uh, the courts have often gotten involved in direct map drawing when uh, those tasked with doing it couldn't agree. So this is a pretty new process. And what ultimately ends up happening uh, will chart the course for future redistricting processes, assuming that this is the same process Michigan has, you know, going into the next several decades. But um, overall, yes, it, it's a huge question about whether the commission's calling of closed session actually applies. So the question that arises is, you know, whether this statement in the constitutional amendment that all business must be conducted in public, you know, what constitutes a commission's public business and what applies to uh pending litigation and the possibility of the commission being sued, um, it, it could, while it likely wouldn't affect government bodies covered by the Open Meetings Act because uh, the commission is a constitutional creation, it's not a statutory uh, government body, but overall in a state that has a lot of issues with government transparency, the result of this case you know, could be precedent setting in other ways. Lauren, talk to us about the reaction that has been coming out of the proposed maps that are out there. I know we've talked before on the show about some civil rights groups that have had concerns about the maps. Are they still frustrated with with how these maps are shaping out? And and I guess what has what have other reactions been like? Yeah, I think there's still quite a few people out there who don't think that this is the best product the commission could have come to. On Thursday, uh, we've heard hours of public comment from folks who are still hoping it, hoping the commission goes back to the drawing board and makes some pretty significant changes to these maps, particularly where the state house is concerned. I think that's where a lot of the rub is uh, in terms of people who are um, who are still concerned with the direction that things are going. Um, I think another area where there's still a lot of consternation is uh, the congressional maps um, and their compliance with the Voting Rights Act. Across the board, there's still a lot of concern that the way that the commission handled the drawing of Detroit in particular could really be disenfranchising Detroit residents. So I think there's still a lot of questions out there. There's still a lot of concerns. And what the commission ultimately decides to do with that um, remains to be seen. Lauren, I would like to take a step back and and talk a little bit about sort of comparing this to what we've seen in terms of redistricting in the past. There are some objective or objective-ish measures to measure this by. Uh, You know, the the criteria that the maps have to follow in terms of reflecting the state's diverse population, communities of interest, uh, partisan fairness. Have we learned at this point about sort of overall how these maps stack up to what we have now in terms of those criteria? I think in terms of comparison to our current maps, uh, the maps that the commission is proposing would be, you know, a pretty large departure overall from what we have seen and in a lot of ways uh, would likely be more competitive. 
than previously in terms of who has the majority or who has the most members of Congress, who has the most members in the legislature and holds the majority party uh, position. So I think that that regardless of regardless of uh, what ultimately pans out, uh, we're seeing a lot of situations where current incumbents uh, are looking at potentially running against other incumbents um, and some pretty big departures in terms of which communities are getting shared with other communities. And it it would be a pretty different map um, regardless of um, regardless of which map they pick from their collaborative maps or if down the line uh, things have to get tweaked. And, and a quick follow-up to that on the transparency side of things, too. I mean, you know, we've talked to people who've been involved directly in previous map drawing processes who openly say, you know, this was happening behind closed doors where no one could see any of the process until we literally put the maps out on the House and Senate floor at the state capitol. Um, you know, compare a little bit of, of that. I mean, you know, I think that this is a really great effort in some ways uh, by media organizations to try to demand transparency uh, with the, using the tools that this constitutional amendment gave us uh, to demand that transparency and set that standard. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think we should uh, have this conversation without also no- noting that, um, you know, uh, one one closed session is a, a huge departure from the process that we saw happen in the past, which was controlled almost completely, if not completely, by uh, partisan lawmakers in, in the legislature. Certainly. And that is a really important point. And that's something that uh, was built into the constitutional amendment, right? Uh, the supporters of this change were really adamant that citizens not only have the opportunity to weigh in on the process at several points in time, but also be able to understand the process and have a little bit more buy-in in terms of what their political districts look like and how they represent their communities. And so, yes, uh, compared to situations in the past where, you know, the legislature did it or um, even before it moved to the legislature's responsibility, uh, there was a there was a commission, but it typically couldn't agree, and it went to the courts um, to decide the lines. And so this is an extreme departure from that. And overall, there has been a lot more opportunities for the public to not only kind of see how these lines are drawn, the minutia, the hours and hours of time that it takes to get these lines right, um, but they also have a lot more opportunity for public comment than the previous uh, the previous system. So moving on to something else that ha- that you've been following very closely, Lauren, which, by the way, thank you for all of your very uh, long hours that you have been putting into your work lately. Hopefully you get a nice holiday break. The state legislature this week had its final session. They went fairly late. Uh, slash early in the morning, depending on how you look at it. Uh, talk to us about what what got done on that last day of session. Yeah, so the biggest thing was an economic development package that a bipartisan group uh, of lawmakers and the administration uh, was really focused on getting through before the end of the year. Uh, it puts a billion dollars into a couple of funds for uh, for 
basically attracting a big business investment and getting potential sites uh, for large uh, for large critical industries uh, shovel ready. Um, and the scuttlebutt around the Capitol was that this was uh, specifically um, keeping GM in mind and a potential electric vehicle battery plant um, and keeping Michigan in the running for that, essentially, by offering some business incentives. Um, and uh, supporters of the legislation said, you know, having this as an option could, you know, make it uh, make Michigan a more appealing place for other critical industries uh, to potentially settle down in the state. That said, as critics of this legislation or concerned uh, about the precedent of putting money towards corporations instead of perhaps, you know, fixing schools or roads or overall just making other critical areas of the state more appealing and appealing enough for businesses to want to settle down without having to, um, without having to have incentives from the government. So uh, there was a, there was a lot of talk about, um, about that around the Capitol, although ultimately uh, this passed with a pretty wide bipartisan margin. All right. Lauren Gibbons is a reporter covering Michigan politics and policy for M live. Lauren, it's always wonderful to have you on with us here on Mishmash. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Always happy to be here. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening.